0: that to be more than just words in a song for us this morning that that is actually a call of ours that is a claim of ours that's a shout of ours that we say that in a way where we mean it as we're talking to the Lord and so I'm going to ask you if it's not up there ready for you to turn to Luke chapter 19 It's a very familiar text. Don't let the familiarity cause you to check out. Verses 11 through 27. I will not be reading all of those because it would take too much time. I'll let you read that yourself at home. Uh, But I am going to be referring to it throughout the text. And the title that I'm giving to this, and some of you will say explain yourself, I will. Is, are you making the most of your mina, M-I-N-A? And you say, where did you get that word? You'll find out in a moment. Are you making the most of your mina? And so let us pray as we go before the Lord. Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, that we are able to stand before you corporately. Father, and to worship you. Lord, we heard from our brother Mike, as he mentioned, as he led us into our prayer time about the the house churches in Afghanistan, Lord, that, that the Taliban has said, we know who you are and we're coming for you. Father, and so I know under the threat of violence and of their lives being taken, they worship and yet they worship. Father, in other places where it is still illegal to gather as believers. And so, Father, we thank you that we can still publicly gather, and I pray that we would not lose sight of the privilege that it is, that you've allowed. But, Lord, that alone does not determine whether we worship you or not. Father, whether under the threat of violence or not, you call us to worship. And I pray this morning, O Lord, that our hearts would be set and fixed on you. Our minds would be clear, O Lord, of the distractions that could be there. Lord, so that we may hear your word and may think through, O God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, what are we to do in response to what we are hearing? I pray, God, that we would be obedient to your word and would see the fruit of that obedience in our lives. Open our understanding. Strengthen and encourage us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, you may know that in Luke's account, Luke's gospel, we find from chapter 9 through, um, through the end of chapter 19 is called the travel log or it is It is this Jesus having to go to Jerusalem is when he says in chapter nine, I must go to Jerusalem. And from nine through 19, we see this, all of the narratives, all of the conversation, all of what's being said is Jesus along the way to Jerusalem. And now going to Jerusalem has has several points of significance, we're not going to get into all of them today, but there are just a few. One, Jerusalem was where the destiny, the purpose of Christ was being fulfilled, and what was that? That he would come to die, and that he knew that in Jerusalem that he would fulfill why God sent him, that he came to save the lost, and how would he save him? By giving his life. And so we know Jerusalem meant that, but it also meant that he would be glorified fully, I mean, as the Son of God, as he began to carry out and fulfill all the prophecies and would ultimately be risen from the dead. And so as we get toward the end, conversation begins now to happen about the kingdom of God, because there was... There was a lot of conversation, a lot of thought, and a lot of misconception about what the kingdom was and and what it was not. And Christ would clarify along the way, but as he gets closer and closer to Jerusalem, he understands that the busyness of that one week in Jerusalem would not afford him the time to get into deep teaching and discussion. He had one last one the night when they took was called the Lord's Supper, and that he would have that closing conversation with them. He would have that closing teaching. He would have that last time that he could share before he would die. But as he got closer and closer, you realize several things. The opposition to him got uh, more and more fierce. He began to become more and more resolute with his. Disciples, namely the twelve, and of course the twelve would become the eleven, because Judas would bolt. But we realize that as he drew closer to fulfilling his purpose, he dug in deeper with his people, and he began to share more and more so that they would not be sidetracked, or that if they were sidetracked, they would be able to come back once they realized what he has shared. And so we get here in chapter 19 in the beginning of it Jesus has this encounter with Zacchaeus and 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 at the close of it he talks about salvation coming to his house. And once again he was giving example of what the kingdom was like. What was that like? Jesus dealing with those on the fringes of society and those that many hated, that they were included in those that were lost, while the Pharisees tried to exclude them, Jesus included them and made a point to go out of his way to someone like Zacchaeus who was hated by many, including the religious. And so now he finishes up his encounter Unless you think this is a different scenario, verse 11 ties it together. Luke wants you to realize he's not changing thoughts. He wants you to continue to hear or to be in the frame of mind of his story, of his account of Zacchaeus, as he gets into the next conversation. And and thus we start verse 11. I'm going to back up to verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 9 where he says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, talking about Zacchaeus, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that's what he says as he concludes his encounter with Zacchaeus. He said, I came for this very purpose. Interesting enough, as Jerusalem is still in the backdrop, and they're around Jericho now, closer and closer to Jerusalem, He says, why I came is to seek and to save the lost, and I'm about to fully do that on my way to Jerusalem. Verse 11, he says, as they heard these things, that is Luke's way of keeping that story tied in, as they heard what he said about Zacchaeus, who's they? The crowd that had gathered around to see Jesus, some of them his followers, some of them just there to see what was happening, some of them that were there to oppose him at every step of the way. And he says as they heard these things he proceeded to tell a parable. He proceeded to give this object this 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 visual story object lesson that had this spiritual focus and emphasis inside but in a way that people would understand it in the culture at the time. I love how Jesus never <clears throat> never dismissed culture but he used it to communicate who God is and what God expected. And I love that. So he knew the culture and knew how to reach the people in the culture so that they would be able to see and understand who God is. We need to remember that as we communicate with people, that we learn how to engage the culture of the day and not think that only a certain era of time was kind of the golden era, and we keep trying to share Christ and communicate who God is in this way that may be about 30 or 40 or 50 years old and don't know how to communicate in the current culture. And so he shares this parable that everyone there would have understood the the illustration, the visual account that he is giving for them to to remember. He tells a parable. Why does he tell it? He gives them two reasons. Why? Because he was near to Jerusalem. In other words, it was about to break off. It It was about to be heated, and he needed them to hear this. But two, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They had some misconceptions about the kingdom that he needed to clear up. What do I mean? They thought that the kingdom was going to visibly come about because Christ was going to hit Jerusalem, he was going to deal with their oppressors, and he was going to physically take over. They thought, ah, the kingdom is getting ready. That's why the disciples, when they were, There, and we hear John's account and even Luke's account, when they were together with the twelve, they were arguing who was going to be greatest because they thought the kingdom was going to happen physically. Christ was going to physically take over and they were going to be set as the rulers and leaders and totally misunderstood. They thought that the justice was going to be their way and it was going to be physical and it was going to happen right then. And they were so far from the truth. How do I know? Because they were all despondent. When you look toward the end at Luke's gospel, chapter 24, those guys who were on the road to Emmaus, you can hear the despondency. We hoped that he would. In essence, they were like, we thought it was that was when it was gonna, he was gonna take over. Now, not only did he not take over, he was killed. What? So they had great misconceptions about what the kingdom is. Can I ask us to, st- uh, to understand something? Stop thinking that God's agenda is what you think it should be and when you think it should be and how you think it should be. Let me just say this. Typically, if you are putting God in your box, you are probably wrong. If you are setting it up in your mind the way that you think would be the best, it's probably the worst. Why? Because in our natural minds, we think so far from God. And so it is best to look at what God is saying, understand it so that we can see how he wants this to come about. And typically, there will be some point in this that will make us uncomfortable. We will be unsettled with how God is doing it. For some, we won't like the fact that he is making us uncomfortable. We thought that God, because I'm a king's kid, you know how that goes, I'm going to be comfortable in this. Let me help you understand. God is saying Most times, if you're walking with me and you're serving me, you are going to be uncomfortable. I am going to bring you out of your zone and out of your preconceived ideas and out of your misconceptions, and I'm going to show you who I am and what I desire. And if you really want to walk with me and serve me, you will allow yourself to be uncomfortable. So he says, for those two reasons, verse 12, it says, he said, therefore, and we know in Scripture, we've said it a bunch of times, when you see a therefore in Scripture, what are you to do? Find out what it's there for. And so when he says, therefore, therefore what? Because he was getting close to Jerusalem, And because they had misconceptions on the kingdom, he shares this parable. Are you making the most of your mina? A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. That is not an unlikely thing because that is how, especially for these regional kings, for these, for these, um, for these rulers that were set up, that they would go to Rome, that they would now be affirmed and confirmed as ruler and leader in the region. And so they would head out to receive a kingdom. They understood that concept well. And so he said, in essence, a nobleman, and yes, you could see Christ in this as the nobleman, but don't get lost in every detail. God, I mean, Christ is beyond this nobleman. But you can see him in the story. Keep that in mind. Because he is sharing an illustration for them to understand what he wanted them to know. And so he comes here and he says to them, he says, A nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then returned. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to one of them and, I mean, and and said to them, Engage in business until I come. Now the ESV engage in business is probably not the best for us um um translation that you can get on that. When he says engage in business, most of us think just get busy. But if you are a businessman or woman, or if you are someone that's an entrepreneur. What is the main thing that you desire when you enter business? And don't get all spiritual on me. Someone answer. What is the main thing that you desire when you get into business? Right, to turn a profit, right? And so really what he is telling them is take this and turn a profit. I know many of us says, well, you know what? I'm just doing okay in my business. You ain't doing that for too long before that business will end. If you don't at some point in your business turn a profit, you won't have business anymore. And so what he's saying to them here is, now here, the difference between this and the account in Matthew 25 with the talents, there's a lot of similarities. Matthew 25, they were given talents according to their abilities, different ones. Luke 19, they were all given the same. They gave them a mean. They had 10 and gave them mean They gave 10 people minas, which is a pound, which is about three to four months worth of salary. So just think, you get about three or four months worth of your current salary at once, and you were told, turn a profit with it. See, for most of us, when, when someone gave us a bonus of three to four months worth of salary, we're going, where can I go and what can I buy? Boy, we about to enjoy this. But instead, he says, he gives it and says, I want something in return greater than what I gave you. That's in essence a profit. You have more than what you started with. And then he sent them out. And so here's what happened. Everyone was given the same gift that none of them deserved. I'm going to get into Four responses to the authority of the king that they had, and four responses of the crown king, but this is set up before that. And so, what we see here in this context is that they are now given something that they did not deserve. Now, but it was very much heard of in that time for masters uh, to give their servants some of them more savvy than others, masters to give their servants their money as they went away on trips so that they could manage it, manage the household, manage all they had, and to not lose money, but to gain it in the process. That was that was commonplace. That was heard of. If you were a well-off individual, you had several servants and slaves, you had several people working for you and under you, And when you would travel for months at a time, you would give X amount and say, handle my affairs and make sure I don't lose any money in the process. And Jesus is using this as an example as he approaches Jerusalem and he is ending as he is nearing the ending of his earthly life and ministry. He shares this story to those that were standing around as they saw him deal with Zacchaeus, and he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. So now we get into it. He calls his ten servants, engage in business until I come. And that's your context of the story that he's saving. Four responses. I'm going to call the authority of the king. And I think these are responses today that we can see ourselves in this world in, whether you are in Christ or not. And I'm going to ask you that question. Are you making the most of your mina, of your pound, of what was given to you that was not yours from the beginning, God allowed you to have, and that could be your gifting, how you have been wired and gifted. It can be what he has given you physically. He has allowed you to amass and to gain. And before any of you said, I earned this on my own, I would say you're not telling the truth because all God had to do was allow one of the many illnesses that are out here to hit you and you couldn't work a day in your life. All he had to do was to call you home and life is done. All he had to do is to allow the roadblocks that are out there for many people to not be moved out of your way and you aren't going anywhere. I know many of us who have who have gained and who have received things think it's on us and us only. God is reminding us, those skills that you had, I gave them to you. Those talents, those abilities, Where would you think it came from? The ability to do it and, and, and to be with minimal difficulty or for you to overcome the difficulty, where did you think you got that from? But I don't believe in God. You don't need to. You're in his world. And so he is the one allowing you to function. And so before we say, that's not me, that's Everyone. And so he has given all of us the gift of life. He has given all of us the gift of talent. He has given all of us the gift of some opportunity, even if those opportunities came with great difficulty. Every last one of us have been given something, and it's in the form of what we would call a mina. You got a lot. And you got it at once. And so here are the four responses. The first one, the first response, were those that were in the region and around, it says, his citizens. The people around the area, they didn't get any but but it's because they weren't even part of his group. But they, that first response is, they refused for him to reign over them. They refused his authority. King, you're not my king. We don't want you. I don't even need your money because we don't want you. I don't need your opportunity because I don't want you, Christ. I'm going to do this myself. And, And you don't believe me? Look at verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Interesting, because in that very crowd that he was standing there, there were some Pharisees. There were some people that thought that they belonged to God, some religious and some not, who said, we don't want this Christ to reign over us. He's not the one. And for some today they are still saying that Jesus, I don't need him. I don't he I, I don't want him reigning over my life. Now, you may not say that, but you live that. How? Because I don't want to hear anything he has to say about how to live. I'm going to live my life. I don't want to hear anything he has to say about how I'm living. About what decisions I'm making about the quality of my life, about whether I'm listening to his word or not, or whether I'm in obedience to his word. I don't want to hear it. In essence, what you are saying is, I don't want you to reign over me. I'm the ruler of my own life. I had a guy say that once to me when we were overseas. Started talking about Christ and had a conversation. And he said, I don't go to church. I believe in the church of, and he gave his name. And so I said, oh. I said, so you're your own God is what you're saying. And he looked at me, I guess so. Problem is, no, you're not. I mean, you may be your own God, but not for long. See, the issue was he, like many others, said, I don't want you reigning over me. I don't need you. Are you saying that today in the way you live? Oh, I know you may, especially if you're sitting in here, you may never say that. Those words may never form on your lips, but are they formed in your life? Do you show it in the choices you make, in the decisions that you make, that you are not going to reign over me? I'm going to do this myself. That's first response. And notice, he said nothing to them. They tried to stop him being crowned king. And there were some in that crowd, the Pharisees, who thought they would do that. They sought to kill him. They thought killing him would stop him. They didn't know that him dying was part of the plan. They thought interrupting and getting in his way would cause this reign of his because he kept saying that he is king, that he is son of God, that he is. He kept saying that, and they were saying, no, you aren't, no, you aren't, and we're going to stop you. Notice that the nobleman said nothing to this group in the process because he knew what was going to happen. He knew, I am going to be crowned. That's not the issue. The issue is, will you receive it along the way? So we get to the second one. The second one, verse 15, because now he returns. said he's going to be crowned. And now he is now ruler, having received the kingdom. He is now king. He ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. By doing business for the Lord. Here's where it gets for us. God said, I gave you something. And now I'm calling on what I gave you. Understand, for all of us, there will be a time when God calls on his investment. God is looking for his ROI. Many of y'all, if not all of you, know what that means. You can shout it out. means what? Return on investment. I want to know what you did with what I gave you. And somebody said, Lord, you didn't give me anything. I sure did. If nothing else, I gave you life. You were breathing all this time with some skills and some talent. I'm sorry, some talents that you've worked into skill with some time that you've had. I want to know what you did. First one, he says. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina. Now, remember, they all received the same. And again, we don't hear about all ten. We just hear about three of the ten. But they represent all that needs to be represented. First one, Lord, here is your mina. He says, your mina has made ten minas more. I love that because he didn't come back bragging. Look what I did with what I have. You hear the humility in this first person's voice? The first one, I'm gonna call this first one accepting authority and obediently turning a prophet. Accepting authority. In other words, that first group said, We don't even want you as king. He said, Not only did I want you as my not only did I receive you as my ruler, I went out and got busy. And in essence, this was a hundredfold. He came back with a hundredfold. He had one. He came back with ten. He, he, ten times that thing. Wow. His abilities, he said, your mina, your gift, Lord, that you gave me, has made. He never gave himself credit for any of it. Did you notice that in his wording? He never gave himself credit. Well, <laughs> you know, Lord. <laughs> You know what I did? He said, Lord, what you gave me has turned into this. Ten times greater. And look at what the Lord, well, no, we're not going to get into the responses yet, because i are going to do it at the end. Second one, it came. Verse 18, and the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And you would think, wow, he didn't get as much as the first. The Lord is about to clamp down on him. He says, no, when you look at the verse there, God says, thankful. He says, in other words, what we see, and this is where it's like, Matthew 25, based on their ability and how they were wired. God ain't asking you to be like your neighbor. God is asking you to be like him and to fully use what he has given you. And if you look over and say, well, wow, he's like ten times, only five times. God is not interested in that. What he is asking you is, did you use it to the level of the ability that I gave you? That's all he's asking. He's, "I'm I'm not trying to compare you to him over here or to her over there. I'm comparing you to what I put in you, what I've invested, what I've given means we need to find out what that is. And so he gets in and he says, I got 5. We'll see the response later. And then the next one. And this is interesting because he either mischaracterized or again, this is where the story does not fully just represent Christ. It represents a a a leader who has given. He says, "Lord, let's look at this. Boy, he he comes down and go to verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina. And he did the same thing here. Here's yours. Here's what you gave me. Which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you. Because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Wow. He came back and said, you're an exploiter. I said, that's, I mean, when it says you, you, you take what you didn't deposit, that's called theft. You came and took what you didn't put in. I was afraid of you. I watched you. I was afraid of you. So either this is a mischaracterization. He was focusing on the wrong thing. He was given a gift, and he says, I was afraid to use it because of who you are. And I didn't think you were going to judge me fairly. God, I don't get you. You seem to be unfair with people. You don't seem to give people a fair shot. So I'm not going to use what you gave me. You seem to be someone that doesn't do right by folk. I watched how you deal with people that live for you. Nah, I'm good. Here's your money back. Here's your talent back. I didn't do anything with it. As if we have a choice to say to the Lord, he characterized him as evil. When we'll see the evil one was actually him. He characterized him as unjust. And so I was afraid. I I didn't want to deal with you, Lord. So I hid it. Four responses. And so the first one I said, refusal to accept the authority of the king. Accepting authority and obediently turning a profit hundred. Accepting authority, the third one, and obediently returning a smaller profit. And then the last one, pretending to accept authority because he took it from them but disobediently not turning a prophet. And I'll put a footnote, claiming the master is a fraud. Four responses to that. First one, go back to verse 15, sorry, verse 16, thought 17. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Understand this. They did not come to this expecting rewards. You don't hear that. They just wanted to be faithful to the one that they knew would be crowned king and have his kingdom. See, while the disciples further on down the line in Luke 24, I mean, in in Luke. 20, 22, were arguing over who would be greatest. They missed the point of the story. He was not trying to be great. He was trying to be faithful. And it's the biggest difference. If you, as a follower of Christ, all you are trying to do is be great, you're not trying to work in his kingdom. You're trying to build your own. And he's saying this is not about you building your kingdom understand this he came back and said i just wanted to be as faithful as i possibly could with what you've given me talent time and treasure and he came back and said here is 10 times more than what you gave me and the lord says and the and the king says good servant you've been faithful over a little i'm going to give you a whole lot more why because you've demonstrated the ability through your faithfulness. Some of us are waiting for God to promote us. And maybe the reason why he's not promoting you is because you are unfaithful with the little bit that you have. You can't, you're asking the Lord for more money and you can't manage what you have. You're asking the Lord for a better job and you are struggling to be faithful on the one that you have right now. You're asking the Lord to give you better relationships, and the one that you have, boy, you're just messing that all up. See, the issue is, God says, when you are faithful in the things that seem meaningless and are small, it turns into greater faithfulness because God can trust you. Now, let me help you out. God knows whether you're going to do something or not. But he's showing you whether you can do something or not. He's letting you see your faithfulness or your lack of it. He says to you and I, if you are faithful in the small, I don't have a problem with giving you all this. Why? Because your mind is in the right place, your heart is in the right place, and you are doing the best that you can with what I've given you. That's what he says. So then he goes to the next one. He goes to the next one. Second comes in verse 19, and he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. In other words, same response. This one came and said, based on my talent, the ability I have, and here's what I've come back with. And the Lord didn't go, well, why didn't you make the ten? Because that wasn't his concern. He knew the ability of his servants. He knows the ability. He came back with five. He said, I'm going to put you over five cities. In essence, what you have demonstrated. So what you have demonstrated shows how you have developed. Why does God give some people greater amounts than he does others? I don't know all the reasons, but part of it is because he knows they can handle the greater amounts than some. He knows that it won't turn them off from him. Some of us right now, if God was to unload the truck of blessing on us, we wouldn't see you again. Disappear. Thank you, Lord, I'm out. But don't be sad about that. Be thankful. Don't be like, I'm helping you to develop. So when I do give you something, it doesn't cause you to turn away from me. You lean in deeper. You do more. You allow yourself to grow. You demonstrate who you are in greater measure. My question again, are you making the most of your mina? Are you taking what God has given you? And please don't just think money. Are you taking all of who you are, which is a result of what God has given you, And are you turning it into something greater for his glory and not your kingdom? But then lastly, well, next lastly, he says to the one that didn't accept, and I'm going to get to the refusal group at the end, to the one that said you were hard. I love how he says to him, he says, Verse 22, I will condemn you with your own words. See, he never argued back whether he was the wicked one that he says he is. And I like that he didn't answer that. He says that's not even the point, period. Whether you think I was evil or not is not even the issue. You were given something by a king or one who was going to receive his kingdom and you refused it. You chose, you are not worthy is what the servant was saying. You are not worthy for me to work for you and to bring you back a profit so I'm not, whatever the reason. And so he says I'm going to use your own words to condemn. You think I'm severe? Watch this. That's in essence what he said. You think I'm severe? Okay. He says, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what and 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 so it's in a question form. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Here's what it is saying. If you knew that about me and you thought that doing nothing with this was the way to answer, you crazy. If you thought I was severe, Even if it was based on fear, you should have done something to turn back a problem. You should have done something with what I've given you if you thought I was bad because you knew that I'm going to come hard on you. You weren't even thinking. But Jesus is not like that. He's not saying that he's this fraud. He's severe. He's saying, listen, I've given you something. I want something back for it. And then he says at the end, (laughs) He says for him. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? Which is interesting because if you look back at Jewish law, they were not allowed to do that. But he says, since you thought I was wicked, why don't you go ahead and do the wicked thing all the way? And he said to those who stood by, who stood by, take the mina." from him and give it to the one who has 10. Interesting. So he says give it to the one who has the ability to 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 manage it the best or to have or, or is the most effective with it. And listen to the crowd. In essence, that's not fair. Isn't that what they say? And they said to him, "Lord, he has 10." What? Why are you going to give it to him? Give it to the one who has 5. First of all, what would our response would have been? It's none of your business. That's number one, because it's mine. I do what I want with it. But what he was saying, in essence, is I'm going to give it to the one that I know will have the best. I mean, well, who will have the, 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 what's the word i looking for? He will turn the best on this, will have the most from it. Can't think of the word I was thinking of right now. Um And so he says, I tell you that everyone, verse 26, who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Understand what he is saying. Use it, in essence, or lose it. In other words, use it for the Lord. Or there is that that opportunity that it could be taken from you. That ability that you that you refuse to use for the Lord. If the Lord decides, I don't want you to have that anymore, that's up to him. And so he says right now to him, he says, Look, you should have done something with it. If you thought I was evil, then go do something else, even if you aren't supposed to, because you knew I was evil, but that wasn't the case. And then uh at the end, he says. But as for these enemies of mine, that's that first group. See, he dealt with his own first, which is what the Lord does. He deals with his own first. And then he says, (laughs) but as for these enemy of mine who did not want me to reign over them. (laughs) It doesn't say it here, but in essence, guess what? I'm still king. I'm still reigning. You didn't want me to, but I'm still reigning. What did he say? Bring them here and slaughter them. In other words, destruction. You refuse the authority of Jesus Christ, you are signing your own destruction. Why? Because he is king and he will be reigned king over all. And Jesus said everyone and it is said in scripture, every knee shall bow, every, every tongue shall confess whether they want to or not. That Jesus is Lord. There will come a time where every single person, human, born on this planet will bow the knee before Jesus Christ, whether you believe it or not. That's what Jesus said. And so here's the here's the point. If you know you've been given, and if you know you've been entrusted with something, what are you doing with it? What opportunities are you taking? What profits for the kingdom are you turning? How are you giving back with more with what the Lord has given you? God's not interested in your money. God doesn't need your money. He wants you to take what he has invested and to cause it to be more for him. Wherever that more is. Whether the more is serving here in the fellowship, in the community, on your job, in your family, wherever. Is what God given you turning into more in whatever sphere you are in? School, work, play. Or are you like the one servant says, God, you're harsh. I don't like how you are. And so I'm just going to... I'm not using it. Or I'm going to use it for myself and I'm just going to spend it. It's not going to turn a profit. See, my issue is God has granted us with something that none of us deserve. What are we turning it into? Are we making the most of our meanings? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us, Lord, this ability. God to be able to take what you have entrusted us with and using it for your glory, Lord. Thank you, O God, that you have allowed us to be able to serve you. Thank you that you have allowed us to be in a position, those that are following you, to be given something from you so that, Lord, we could turn it into something more for you with your help. And so, Father, I ask today that you would help us to realize what it is that you have given us, whether great or small. Father, we all have been given the same in life and in time. And, Father, the abilities that you've given us and how we were wired, O Lord, will show us, God, what we can turn it into and what we can do, O God, for you. I pray that we would not sit on it. Father, that we would work for your glory. I also pray for those, Lord, that are on the outside, that are refusing your authority. Father, that do not want you to reign over them. And Whether they say it or they live it, I pray that you would help them to see that we will all answer, Father, to your authority one day. Lord, and that they would turn and put themselves under your authority by receiving you. Father, I pray you will strengthen us. Let us not be fearful. Let us be encouraged, Father, that you've given us, Lord, what we've not deserved and given us abilities so that we can turn it into something greater. I pray that we would do that in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, as we hear that, I pray that it would encourage you that you begin to think through how do I do this? How do I set this up? What do I do, Lord, with what you have given me? But I also, someone here today may be here saying, I've never embraced Christ as Lord. I've been saying, in essence, I don't want you to reign over me. And if that's you, Please come and see me afterwards. I would love to be able to talk to you about how to begin to have a relationship with Christ, one where he reigns over you, and then you can begin to realize what he has in store for you. And we know that comes as you recognize that you're a sinner, that Christ is the only way for that sin to be erased, because he was on his way to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world and be risen again and you receive that and embrace his authority, your life can change as well. So this morning, I pray that as you go back home and as you go through this week, you ask yourself the question, what has the Lord given me? And what kind of return am I bringing to him? Amen. Anthem. You can join in with us all over the world, we're going to cry out together, the name that's above every name. We cry Jesus, you are Savior, you are matchless, you are King, and we worship you, Jesus.